All right. Hey, we're wrapping up our relationship series uh, starting or, or this week, uh, really dealing with conflict. We, we, we know conflict is evident in every relationship, uh, every relationship we have, whether it's a, a friendship or a marriage relationship. As a matter of fact, uh, Gary Smalley, who is a, a, at one point a pastor and has done a, a lot of stuff with Focus on the Family and stuff, says the most difficult years of marriage are those following the wedding. In other words, every year after the wedding is difficult, it seems to be because there's always conflict. There's always differences of opinion. There's always situations and circumstances where maybe you said something that you didn't think was that big of a deal and somebody took it another way. And we begin to see that conflict is something that really is evident in every relationship and we have to learn how to deal with the conflict or deal with the problems and the struggles with it. Now, for those of you who know uh, me and know my circumstance recently with what's going on, you have to understand I have to try and stay off my foot, which is hard enough as it is in my daily life, let alone trying to do it sitting here because I'm not a sitter. Um, it, it drives me absolutely nuts. But as we deal with today, I want to encourage you to dig in. We're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter four. So flip to Ephesians chapter four. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's all right. Uh, you'll, we'll have the verses up here above for you. But I want you to ask yourself this question and think about how do I deal with conflict in the relationships I'm in? I'm not just talking marriage. We can talk about marriage. We're gonna talk about marriage. But how do I deal with conflict within the relationships that I function on a daily basis, all right? All right? Because a lot of times when we start talking about what we'll call conflict, I think about and what comes to mind is either a boxing match or an MMA type situation, all right? And what I mean by that is this. In most conflict or in conflict resolution, we have one desire and one desire only. That's to knock the other person out and win the battle. It's like, I'm gonna make sure they know they're wrong and I'm gonna kick their butt and I'm gonna knock them out and everything's gonna be good and we're gonna set aside to win the battle, all right? So we have one desire to knock him out and take him out. So Ephesians chapter four, as we dig into what, what, what I believe that, that Paul is trying to instruct us in this and how God would want us to respond in conflict. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak what? Truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now listen to verse 29. Do not let any what? Unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you." Now, when we start talking about conflict or we start talking about marriage and relationships and things like that, there are some things that come to mind. As a matter of fact, uh, I used this probably about 10 or 12 years ago. I found it recently again in one of my illustration files I had, but there were these kids and they asked kids what they thought about marriage. And this is what they said. On the first date, they tell each other lies and that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. 
Isn't that kind of true? It's like the first date is like all the lies come out or, or who you were is actually revealed as in who you are. In other words, you can't act it out anymore. John chapter, or John verse, or age nine says this, love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> if falling in love, this is Glenn, age seven, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it, it takes too long. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's the reality. God's intent for our marriage and for every relationship is that they be filled with love. They would be filled with harmony. There would be unity. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be conflict. All right. However, many of our relationships and most of or even all of our marriages are more like war, more like disharmony and disunity. Matter of fact, there's a great movie. I was going to try and maybe show a clip from it. Uh, it's not exactly the, gre- the greatest as far as, but there's a good movie that we watched one time called This Means War. Um, and it's basically two guys trying to win over a girl uh, and they're best friends and they're battling each other, pulling pranks, doing all kinds of things to sabotage the other's dating relationship with it. And they don't realize at, time, at first that they're dating the same girl and then all of a sudden they realize they are. And, and it's, it's just a funny take. But I want you to understand this, that God's purpose in marriage is not just to make you happy, all right? But it's to set apart or make you holy. Marriage in reality is not perfection. Marriage should point you to the perfect one, Jesus Christ. You don't look at filling your life with a perfect person who completes you. You look at your life being complete in and of Jesus Christ first and foremost, and then you decide to come alongside with or walk beside a person that you're gonna do marriage with. In other words, that you're going to live life with, that you're gonna put up with their flaws and their faults and their difficulties and their struggles and their certain characteristics and tendencies that drive you nuts. Why? Because that's what marriage is. Marriage is walking through grace and conflict avoidance. And I wanna say this wholeheartedly and I hope you hear me out. Conflict avoidance is not the sign of a healthy marriage or even a healthy relationship. When you avoid conflict, all that means is that you're struggling with poor communication. Matter of fact, you can look at it this way. There are a lot of people who have conflict in a relationship, even at work, and the reason you have conflict in that relationship is not because necessarily the relationship is bad. It's because there's been bad communication in that relationship because somebody said something you didn't like or maybe you said something they didn't like. So conflict is usually a result of poor communication. So when conflict, though, is handed in a biblical and constructive way, then the marriage can thrive and grow, or the relationship can thrive and grow. So here's the big thing. Here's the big idea. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this today. Conflict must be handled, listen, with boundaries or within boundaries that allow for healthy communication and spiritual growth. Conflict must be handled within boundaries. Now, here's the deal. Most of us, when I brought up MMA and boxing, will say that there are specific guidelines and boundaries that are completely different. In boxing, they have certain rules that they allow, whereas in MMA, it's kind of like a no holds barred. You can do whatever you want. Boxing is just fists. MMA, it's knees, it's feet, it's toes, it's elbows, it's whatever you want. You're gonna take a person out, all right? Most of us approach box, or most of us approach our relationships with an MMA style mentality, like, Hey, there's, this is a no holds barred. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win versus a boxing mentality, which even boxers would now say, 
they don't like MMA because they don't feel like it's a, I don't know how boxing is a gentle, gentlemanly sport, all right? <laughs> all right? Boxing's gentlemanly because we just pounded the daylights out of each other with boxing gloves, whereas those guys are going for blood and gore and everything else. Conflict has to be handled within boundaries that allow for healthy communication and spiritual growth. So there's a connection between what you're putting into your marriage and what you're getting out of your marriage. There's a connection between what you put into the relationships you have with people at work or neighbors or friends or family or what else and what you get out of those relationships. So here's the question. How do I deal with conflict? Say that cautiously because I'm not talking to you as an expert. My easy way of dealing with conflict is, all right, fine, yeah. That's the way I grew up, all right? My dad had a rule. Well, he had three rules, but I'm gonna tell you rule number. Rule number one was he never started a fight. Rule number two was you better finish it. If it comes out, you better finish it. You don't walk away, you're gonna take him down, all right? And so, I'm, and I'm not saying that is the way we always go, but I want you to think about this. How I deal with conflict, we have to begin to understand that we don't embellish the truth. We don't embellish the truth. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off what? He says you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbors. This idea of embellishing truth, I always put it this way, to put off falsehood and speak truth. When you think about the weigh-ins, matter of fact, when we weighed in in wrestling in high school, you would weigh in, usually about 6 a.m. in the morning, there would be a weigh-in, and then after weigh-ins, guess what we went and did? You gorged yourself. You got as much weight back as possible. And it's the same way when they box or if it's MMA. They embellish the truth because they hit that weight and they may do the weigh-ins the day before. Matter of fact, there's been times where I've been over with Mark and the guys and we're watching a fight and they'll say, hey, he weighed in at this, but we're pretty sure this guy's gained like an extra eight or 10 pounds between yesterday and today. It's this embellishment of truth. And here's what happens in conflict. We embellish things, don't we? We blow things out of proportion. We read too deep into a situation. We look at the words and maybe we've had a bad morning and they say something that maybe, you know, wasn't the nicest thing to say, but all of a sudden we start reading into the words, you know what I'm talking about? And we get super offended. Our guard comes up and it's like, you know what? That person just said this about me. And we get offended and we begin to embellish the truth. And listen to what he says. You have to put off falsehood and you have to speak truthfully. It's kind of like this statement. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, this is one of those ones that when we first got married, we'd have conflict uh, over. Is my wife is the one who doesn't deal with things right away. And I'm the guy, if you know anything about me, when I find out there's an issue, do you know what I want to do? Let's just, let's get it over with. Let's take it on. I want to hit it head on. I'm gonna, and I'm going to come at you hard. All right, if I know that you and I have conflict, I'm gonna come at it, not in a way to run you over, I wanna make sure we take care of it, but I'm gonna come at you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat things, I'm gonna point blank ask you a question and, and we're gonna get out. My wife holds it in. And so I remember at one point, and she's got, she's a lot better, I'm not trying to, this is not all bashing on her, I'm, I'm gonna start embellishing the truth here, no, um, all right. Uh, she would hold it in. And then we'd have some argument. She'd be like, well, you know, back. And she'd bring up like four or five, six months later. I'm like, whoa, time out. You can't go back there. That's off limits, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's, that's off limits, all right? 
But this idea of embellishing the truth is that I have to begin to deal with it right away, all right? She wasn't embellishing the truth. It was something I did, but she didn't deal with it right away. So this idea of how I take place or take part in a conflict right away, when I deal with conflict or when I have conflict, you have to begin to learn to take care of it. Don't let it build up. Conflict is like a balloon. You guys know what I'm talking about is you blow and you blow and you blow and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But the problem is a lot of times if you don't deal with it, you keep blowing, what happens? The balloon eventually pops. And maybe whatever else is in there is gonna go everywhere else. Right now, you know, you're just a balloon. It's a bunch of hot air. But when things happen and you begin to hold things in, eventually everything comes out and you have to learn to deal with conflict right away. See, the problem is we usually overreact because we feel violated, we feel like we've been abused, we feel like we've been hurt, attacked, things like that. And so we kind of embellish the way things go. We play them out too big. And so listen to me wholeheartedly, the Bible's laying this out, that we must put off falsehood. Do not lean into that situation. Do not let it fester inside. Do not begin to build things up to make them worse and worse. Matter of fact, we are our own worst enemy a lot of times because here's what ends up happening. We, we, we focus on it. And when you focus on it, it continues to grow. It continues to get bigger. We continue to make it a bigger and bigger ordeal and a bigger and a bigger problem. And then as a result, because of that, we end up having more problems and more issues. And usually, here's the problem. You ever notice this? The person that has offended you doesn't realize they offended you until it's gotten really bad. And then all of a sudden, it's gotten bad, not on their part. They're going, I don't know what I did. I, I, I miss, I, I guess I don't understand you know, it's going back to the husband. It's the 15th anniversary of our first date. Huh? They can't remember our anniversary. You're gonna expect them to remember the anniversary of your first date? You know, it's this idea of conflict. You don't expect things out of that person. So what we have to begin to do, we have to understand that we can't embellish or build up. And I, I believe this wholeheartedly. We're really good at fighting against each other rather than fighting for each other. In every relationship, do you look for the positive or the negative? Do you look at the things that they're dealing with and you constantly jump to negative or do you look for the positive? Hey, there's good attempt. There was good attempt by their, on their part. Do you look at those things? Are you fighting for the person or are you trying to fight against them? When you look for what is good and honorable in your mate, you're gonna find it. God instilled his glory into each one of us. Remember he says that we are created in God's image? In other words, God instilled his glory into each one of us. Do you look for the good things or do you look for the bad things? Do you look for the good things and the person who's checking you out or are you looking for the bad things? And listen, I know everybody has a bad day. Every time, you know, something happened at home, maybe kids sit you on your last nerve, maybe there was a, a little bit of conflict and you notice what happens in conflict is everybody else kind of bears the brunt of it. We respond short to a waiter or a waitress or a checkout person or a neighbor, or even our kids, because of something that happened. So when we deal with conflict, we have to begin to understand that we have to not embellish the truth. Number two is this, all right? And I'm gonna say it this way. We talked about the tail of the tape kind of before this don't embellish the truth. Number two is this, you gotta learn to fight. Get in the ring, all right, and what I mean by that is you gotta learn to fight fair because listen to what he says in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Anybody ever been to bed angry? You've rolled over in bed and you're like, I'll show them. 
Or maybe you piped off. Matter of fact, I will say this. It seems like whenever we argue, when do we argue? It's like bedtime. Like we'll go through the whole day, nothing said. You climb into bed and guess what happens? There's just this little comment, you know? There's a little word maybe thrown across. Maybe it's the intent. The husband's like, hey, yeah, you wanna, you know, the whole video thing. And the wife's like, over my dead body, I'd rather rub broken glass in my eyes, you know? And the guys are all laughing because that's sometimes how it feels. There's a reason why things end up happening on this and why Paul's saying, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Here's what happens. We wait until we realize we've got a captive audience and we want to get in the last jab. And it's not a fair fight. When I say get in the ring, you have to learn to get in the ring and fight fair. You fight by rules. Remember going back to the main thing, conflict must be handled within boundaries. Why? Because it allows for healthy communication and spiritual growth. Conflict is okay when handled properly. Conflict when outside the boundaries that God set up is going to lead you into more conflict and not spiritual growth and not healthy communication. But when I handle it properly, we can communicate together healthily, all right? And we can grow together as a couple, spiritually, especially in marriage. Healthy conflict is a good thing. Unhealthy conflict is a bad thing. So Paul doesn't say never get angry, but he does have some strong words to say. He says, in your anger. In other words, there's times you can be angry. The question is, is it a righteous time? Is it, is it a righteous reason for which you're angry? In other words, I can understand, hey, I just caught my husband looking at pornography. Go off on him. Rip his head off. All right? That's a righteous anger. Now, rip his head off kindly, politely, so that you can restore him. All right, what I mean by that when I say rip his head off is do not let him do that. That's unhealthy, why? Because he's literally laying this out that our desires that we're striving for holiness, not perfection, as far as a perfect spouse, we're striving to lead each other into a holy relationship with God. So Paul doesn't say never get angry, but he has strong words. Get down to the heart of the issue or get to the root of the problem when you're dealing with it. If there's some anger, you gotta deal with it and you gotta be upfront and honest, all right? Here's what I notice usually. One person wants to deal with conflict. One person wants to avoid the conflict. If you are married to a person who wants to avoid conflict and you're a person who avoids conflict, guess what happens? You still got conflict. You're just not dealing with it. One person's gonna hold it in. The other person's gonna hold it in. And guess what you got? You got a balloon in one person and a balloon on another person. They're both going up and nobody's dealing with any issues or situations. You have to learn to deal with conflict with the healthy boundaries. In other words, I would say things like this, all right? And, and, and I'm gonna use this. This comes from some marriage conferences and things like this. You have to begin to say, not, not say things like this. You always, well, you always, what is that person automatically doing? I'll throw my dukes up. I got to protect myself. Why? Because you're jabbing at me. You're coming at me. Here's how you can avoid the you always. I feel like this when you do this or when you say this or when you act like this. I feel, there's, you cannot discredit feelings. When I come at Sarah and I may say some, some, some rude things and she comes out and she goes, I feel like because you said that. You know how I feel? 
I feel even worse now because I made my wife feel that way. Instead of her coming back and going, you always, she'll say things like, well, I feel like this. Now I'm like, oh, golly, I complete failure of a husband. Now, and I know I'm wrong. Now, in my anger at times, I've been like, well, fine, I'll just walk away. I'm gonna, because I'm going to get defensive. But when I realize I'm wrong, now I got to go back and apologize for what I did. So I have to get in the ring. I, 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 in other words, I got to take part in the fight. Listen to what he says in verse 27, all right? Do not give the devil a foothold. Here's what happens in most of our conflict in relationships. I always use it like the figure four. When I was growing up watching WWF, you had like guys like Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Hulk Hogan, all these guys would come off top turn, Jimmy Superfly snook off the top turnbuckle, and they had this figure four thing. And I think they still do it. I don't ever watch WWE or anything like that. But they would go into the figure four. It's like the submission hole. All right. In MMA, they do the rear naked choke or the Kimura or the you know triangle choke. I got all these things. We're going to submit. That's a lot of times how we approach things. We want to put somebody in a submission hold and think we're going to get them. But listen, the whole idea is that when you argue unfair or outside of boundaries, guess who's got you in the submission hold? It's not you submitting to somebody else. It's somebody else holding you. In other words, Satan has you in a submission hold, in a grip, and he's got a foothold controlling what goes on. And the minute you give Satan a foothold, he's going to take it and he's going to, t- he's going to, he's going to turn on it. He's going to set it in and he's going to try and get you to submit. And so you have to begin to understand that I don't allow anger to lead to sin and I don't allow anger to be used by Satan to continue to create more and more conflict. I have dealt with couples in the past and I I say this wholeheartedly who have told me point blank, we don't sleep together, we don't even talk at night. We're not even in the same bedroom. I'm upstairs, he's downstairs. Or I'm upstairs and she's downstairs. We don't even, you wanna know what that does? that is set up for divorce, and here's the problem. It's not dealing with conflict within the boundaries, and it's given Satan control of everything that goes on with the foothold. Do not give Satan a foothold within the relationships that you have, because he will take it, and he will turn it for his purpose, not God's purpose. So what is it that I want bad enough that I'm willing to yell at, tune out, abuse and neglect to get because that's the question you have to begin to understand when we talk about getting in and fighting. If I get into the point where I'm willing to yell, blow a gasket, tune out, abuse or neglect somebody, then I have given Satan a foothold. Number three is this, stop talking trash. If you're into any sort of MMA for some of you guys, most of the women are probably like, why are you talking MMA stuff? All right, but I'm gonna throw out a name that everybody who knows anything about MMA will know that this is the greatest trash talker of all times, a guy named Conor McGregor. He's an Irish dude. And Conor McGregor runs his mouth nonstop. Now, Conor McGregor's a pretty bad dude, but he's kind of got put in place the last couple times in his fights, and it's kind of nice to see. Why? Because trash talking, everybody loves to see a trash talker just kind of get their butts handed to him. Listen to this. Stop talking trash. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Everybody hates a trash talker. 
You talk trash, you're going to want to get beat into the ground. You're on the baseball field. I'll tell you this point blank. You're on the baseball field and you're talking trash. I'm going to use the baseball game to drive you into the ground. I want to make you submit through that. And I've had it before, and I've, I've used this probably in the past as an illustration. We had some conflict with some coaches when we were nine years old. Um, and I, I set out, I always say that we teach baseball a certain way. Um, I was talking to some about baseball this morning uh, about how I feel like I could teach baseball to anybody, but I'm not so sure at this point. Um, but <laughs> the reason why I say that, at nine years old, I was like, you guys got to teach these kids how to play baseball and stop playing your stupid play for tr- plastic trophy stuff. All right? But in the midst of that, there was some trash talking going on. So there are some unwritten rules that in my book, I kind of keep track of. So when we were 11 years old, I have this unwritten rule that when we get up by so many runs, you no longer steal a base. Well, we were up by like 18 runs. We're destroying this team that had talked trash to us when we were nine. We're 11 now. And I'm absolutely, we're, we're torquing them. It's like 18 to one at this point. And I gave a steal sign and my first base coach looks at me like, we're up like 18 runs. And he goes like this, which is choke. I mean, you know, put a squash on it. We're not, and I went, no. And so at the end of the inning, we were up 24 to one at that point. He comes over, he's like, dude, what's going on? I'm like, dude, there's no mercy. You remember them talking trash? And he's like, yep. I'm like, the same coaches, same kids. No mercy. We end up beating them. I think that was a game we end up beating. I don't remember, 32 to two. And it's like, it's baseball. I'm like, I don't care. There are unwritten rules that go on. Now, that's because of trash talking. Listen to what he says. Stop talking trash is this idea that you have to begin to build your spouse up or build the other person up. Listen again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Not only is that talking about cussing, but it's even talking about degrading words. It's talking about words that you use as a result of sinfulness in your life to try and defend yourself, to try and protect yourself. Only build others up. Only build up others according to their needs. Listen again what he says. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Does this say your needs? Does it say your desires? No. It says their needs. And so here's how we begin to go about or deal with this. What can I say to encourage or build up the other person? In other words, I've got to learn to fight fair within the boundaries. Now, how do I begin to encourage or build up the other person? How do I talk to them? How do I encourage them? How do I use words of affirmation? How do I make sure that unwholesome talk isn't coming out of my mouth? How do I make sure in the time of anger that I don't let loose of some expletive-filled tirade, but rather I build the person up? How do I make sure that I control my attitude, my heart, my emotions in the midst of being frustrated and angry? We have to begin to understand we don't embellish the truth, all right? We always fight fair. We fight within the boundaries, and then I have to learn to use words that build my spouse up. So listen, we go back to what I said earlier. I feel like Now, I could go real defensive and say, well, that's your fault for feeling that way. Now, is that wholesome? No, that's unwholesome. Well, if you just had a better outlook on yourself, you'd just toughen up and get over it. That's the way some husbands probably sound like, probably some dads, right? (laughs) All right? But unwholesomeness leads us down the road of focusing only on ourselves. Wholesome words 
Say, how do I build up the other person? How do I begin to benefit and speak truth into this person's life? What can I say to encourage or build this person up? Encouragement is focusing on the positive rather than the negative. And listen, listen to what it says. It benefits not only the person you're building up, but also those who listen around you. Those who listening or are listening around you. Matter of fact, parents, I'll say this. When you build up or encourage your spouse, guess who's listening? Your kids. When you talk positive about somebody around the church, guess who listens? Other people around the church. When you encourage somebody at an airport or at a gas station or at a restaurant or wherever you're at, guess who's listening around you? Guess what everybody else hears? I saw a great video. I don't remember who shared it this week. Somebody shared it on Facebook about a lady in the airport in Atlanta. Just works in the airport. She's always encouraging people and asks them if she could pray for them. And I watched that. It was two minutes. I'm like, man, that lady's awesome. People I know are people, they've said now that people literally will drive to the Atlanta airport. I know this sounds crazy. Will literally drive to the Atlanta airport because she works in one of the concession stands outside security just to let her speak a word of encouragement to them and pray with her. In Atlanta. I'm like, that that place is crazy with traffic. But there are people who will literally drive out of their way. There are regulars, business members who fly in and out of Atlanta who stop by and see her almost weekly. Why? Because she's building others up. What you say affects how they respond. What you say affects how they act. What you say affects how they treat you in return. And so when we begin begin to understand this, husbands or wives, constantly tearing down our wife or our husband is not wholesome talk, it's unwholesome talk. It doesn't build them up, it tears them down. And listen to what he says in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then listen to what he says. Get rid of all what? Brawling and slander. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger along with every form of malice. Hear what he's saying? Don't let anger be the key driving factor. Don't let bitterness reign in your heart. Don't let the rage and the anger and the the frustration that builds up to a point where maybe you're kind of like, I think back to the old Woody Woodpecker type things or or the Fred Flintstone when the, the whistle would blow, you know, don't let that steam come flying out of your head because you're, you're so violent and so upset about what's going on. Instead, verse 32, and this is where we're gonna finish up. Be kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Here is why we're called to act and respond in a certain way. Listen to what he says. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Kindness means I look to try and be kind to them even in the midst of them being maybe mean or impatient or uncourteous or, or unloving to me. I'm still gonna be kind. And I can be compassionate. I can have compassion on people. Even when I disagree with their lifestyle, guess what? I can still be compassionate. Why? And here's why he says, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The gospel lived in a nutshell is when you, 
you can live out the gospel in front of other people, forgiving others. Why? Because Christ forgave you first. Because in Christ, God forgave you of your sins, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that nothing is held against us, that unwholesome talk doesn't come out of Jesus' mouth, but only what is useful for building others up. And so he calls us to do the same thing. And so the beauty of this thing is that we have to communicate compassion and forgiveness. Why? Because that's what he wants us to do. We walk with grace. We walk with forgiveness. We communicate grace. We communicate forgiveness. Why? Because that's what Jesus did first and foremost. And here's what I wanna encourage you with today. And I hope you would begin to do this. We all struggle with conflict. We all have feelings of self-centeredness, selfishness, desires where we feel like we've been violated. Maybe we've been disrespected. We've been unloved. But listen, even to the person who is unloving, even to the person who is careless, who is selfish, when you're compassionate, when you're kind, when you're loving to them, it's only a matter of time and they'll come around. Maybe they've been responding or maybe they've been surrounded with anger and with bitterness, with rage, all their life, and maybe all they know is that. But what I'm telling us, and what I would say even from my own heart is this, that when we respond with compassion, when we respond with grace and forgiveness, we'll receive grace and forgiveness and compassion back. That's the beauty of what we see lived out here. And here's what I wanna give you to close out. Here's what I wanna try and encourage, and this is what I'm gonna try and do for myself. In the midst of dealing with conflict, I want you to try and use five encouraging words a day in the relationships you have. Your relationship with your husband or wife, five encouraging words. You're like, five, that's not very many. Others of you are like, five, are you kidding me? Why don't you just set the goal super high? I can't even get one out. Five encouraging words that you build your spouse or you build your significant other, your children, your workers that you work, your coworkers you work with. Maybe it's somebody at the bank that you can just go in and even say one or two encouraging words a day, but five encouraging words a day and see how how your life has changed as a result of you listening, not focusing on unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building others up. The point of this is to build the other people up, not to tear them down. We live in a world right now that we are all about tearing people down. All you gotta do is get, watch the news, watch social media, get on anything. Heck, I'll even go down this road. I don't care if you were a Democrat or Republican. If I had a president show up at my church, I would pray for the dude, all right? Why? I'm not praying for the political party. I'm praying for this man. And listen to me, church. Hear me out wholeheartedly. It should never matter who or what a person is. Never. You should always be willing to pray for anybody, even, listen to me scripturally, even your enemies. Do you understand that? 
I should voluntarily be praying for the very people who stand against me. Why? Because that is biblical. That is gospel-centered. And so hear me out when I say this. When we encourage others five words a day, it can change the world around you. It can change the response of somebody that, that, that is dealing with maybe a negative attitude at home or a anger and resentment at home. So I just want to encourage you with that. Use words of encouragement. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Why? Here's the real reality. All of it stems from this. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we get what we don't deserve. Or, right? Yeah, we get what we don't deserve and we don't get what we deserve. All right, I had to think about those words for just a second, all right? We get what we don't deserve. And the reality is, and sometimes I have to look at my own actions, I don't necessarily deserve words of encouragement. I deserve maybe to have somebody go, you know what, quit being a jerk. But a word of encouragement may change a jerk into somebody who's not a jerk because it's a word of encouragement instead of being a word of defensiveness or an attack. Go with words of encouragement and see how your relationships change. Speak the truth of the gospel in love and compassion and with kindness and see how people respond differently than if you respond with judgment and hatred and vengeance. Let's pray. Father, I know wholeheartedly today that there are broken relationships, there are are struggling relationships, Maybe there is some selfishness going on. Maybe there's some, even some bitterness and some rage that has recently taken place even the last uh, couple hours. Maybe it was on the way to church. But God, I know that wholeheartedly you wanna use the relationships we're in to strengthen us, to encourage us, to equip us, to help us out, to be a benefit. And so God, I pray that I can be a person of encouragement that I can encourage those who are closest to me. I can encourage the leaders around me. I can encourage my wife, my son, my daughters in every way, in every shape, and in every form so that we can be a family, a unit that stands strong together on the gospel. God, I pray today that you would work within the relationships we have evident here. That God, maybe there's a marriage that needs to be restored. Maybe there's some friendships that are, are a little tense right now. But God, may we be the people who first go and ask for forgiveness, that we would say, hey, I offended you. Maybe I said some wrong things. Would you forgive me? And may we be people who are compassionate and grace-filled. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.